Yeah, so good to be with you guys this morning. If you don't know what crew is, it's a campus ministry. So mainly at Boise State is where I'm at. A lot of students actually at Rev are either part of that now or have been in the past. It's just one of many different campus ministries there. But I got a text from Bren last night, and he said, hey, well, first of all, I was like, oh, sweet, a text from the Philippines. That's cool. But he, he said, praying for you tomorrow morning. And I texted back, what's tomorrow morning? And I just let it hang for a minute. I was like, okay, just kidding. Ha ha. Thank you. Praying for you too. Didn't want him to have an ulcer, but really cool to see what's going on there on that trip. And if you ever get to go on that trip in the future, I would encourage you to. Pretty incredible getting to hear about that. So excited to be here this morning, though. Want to get share just some stuff that's been helpful for me. He said, well, you could continue on our, we've been going through 1 Corinthians. He said he can take part of chapter 14. I said, I'll leave that to you guys, or just whatever you want to do. So I thought, well, there are some particular things that have been really helpful for me. So hopefully this will be helpful for you. I want to look at two main passages this morning and on the topic of discipleship. And so it's something, some things that I, even though I was in church my whole life, that I didn't know and didn't hear a lot of. So hopefully it'll be that way for you, that it's some nugget that might be actually helpful in your life. So the first passage I want to just dive right into is 2 Timothy chapter 2. The other one will be Matthew 28, but 2 Timothy 2. Let's just read it quick, and then we'll, we'll observe a couple of things. But here it is. You then, my child, be strengthened. So this is Paul writing to Timothy, a guy he discipled. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And it's a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So I'm not sure what may stand out to you in that. We're going to come back at the end today to talk about that first piece. But the second half, he talks about these three pictures, right? A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. We're not going to dive deep into that right now, but you may resonate with one of those more than others. But the one that jumps out at me right away is the athlete. And I grew up playing sports. Once I got out of college, I was like, I need something else to keep me healthy and got into triathlon, which has been fun. So swim, bike, run. But a couple summers ago, I wasn't able to do a triathlon. I thought, I want to try something new. So I thought, I'm going to do a mountain bike race. So there was a mountain bike race up at Bogus. Went up there with my buddy, Andrew, and we did this race. And it starts off with this crazy climb, but then you get the fruit of your labor, which is the, the descent, right? You get to go downhill. So up around the backside of Bogus, start flying downhill. And by this point, the climb had separated people out. So I was kind of by myself, but just having a blast, just flying downhill, just ah, like if I was a dog with my head out the window and my tongue would be flapping in the wind, right? Just like, yeah, like hooping and hollering, just having a blast. And as I'm flying downhill, eventually kind of that feeling was going away and being replaced slowly with the like, oh no, oh no, something's wrong. And the trail literally disappeared. And I realized, oh no, 
I, it'd be like this emoji, like, oh no, I'm not even on the course anymore. I went off course way uphill back there, but even worse, I have no idea where. I don't know even where I left the course, so I don't even know how to get back. And I literally have had dreams like this, where I show up to a race and like the front wheel of my bike is just missing. I'm like, ah, or I get off course and I don't know where I'm at. Like I have these bad dreams. And so that's flashing through my mind at this moment. I'm going, it's happening, like for real. I'm totally out of the race. Like I just, I don't even know where I'm at. So as I thought, that's what came to mind actually, as I thought about the athlete competing according to the rules. It's like, you can't win a race if you're not even on the course, right? I was just making connections about this in my own life and thinking, how crazy would it be if, if I was just flying along in life, maybe even having a great time, not even realizing at some point I had started veering off course. And I tell you what, that turn I missed, it was so subtle, like the sign was tweaked. It was, but that can happen in life where I, I realize maybe too late, whoa, I have been even a degree off over time, right? You get way off. I could do that in my life, actually pretty easily. And my desire is that that wouldn't happen, obviously. I think about it with these other things Paul talks about, the farmer, right? Hardworking farmer. And if I was to ask you, hey, how's, how was your week? How's, how's life right now? I guarantee you the number one answer I'd get, what do you think it'd be? Busy. Man, it's busy right? Number one answer. And how crazy, though, if, if we were to think, oh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm like the hardworking farmer. I'm really getting after because I'm so busy all the time. But what if all this hard work was actually about some of the wrong stuff, but you don't even realize it? That would be tragic, right? And then the last one is the soldier. He points out the soldier Paul says, share in suffering. Well, none of, how, of us, how many of us are going for that? Share in suffering, different sermon, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So a soldier's aim is to please the one who enlisted him, right? His commanding officer. And he really wants to hear, well done, well done, good job. And you know what, if I, as I think about my life, one day I'll stand before God and those are the words that I want to hear at the end of my days from God is, well done, well done. And to think, what if I didn't hear that? What if what I discovered when it's too late, Billy, you got off course. And yeah, you were, you were doing lots of stuff, maybe even enjoying life, but you got off course and you, you missed it. That, that is like my worst nightmare. Far worse than going off course in a bike race is that I would go off course in my life. And so I think, well, what is it then? What am I supposed to be about? And what's cool for you guys in Rev 22 is even in your logo, you've got it built in. So what are the words right below your logo? Love God, love others. Yeah, which is awesome, because that is, if you were to ask Jesus, right, and he was asked, what is the most important thing? What is it? Number one, love God. Number two, love others. Like, there's nothing more important than that. And the question still, though, I grew up in church. I knew that. I could have repeated that. Yeah, love God, love your neighbor. But what does it actually look like in my day-to-day life? How am I supposed to actually 
know that I'm on course, that I'm actually living how God wants me to. I think the perfect example, right? Who perfectly demonstrated how to love God and how it looks? Jesus, right? Who perfectly demonstrated what it looks like to love your neighbor? Jesus. And so he is the model to look at. If you want to know what this looks like, look at his life, examine it, and imitate his life, right? Which is really the definition of discipleship. And so what I want to look like at this morning is being disciples who make disciples, which is what Timothy talked about. But there are three pictures for me that have been helpful in even like trying to get my mind around what would that actually look like for me to live as a disciple myself of Jesus, to imitate him in my life, but also he says to go make disciples. What does that look like? So maybe you hear that and you're like, okay, yeah, I know about discipleship. I know Matthew 28. I know all this stuff. Maybe for you, it's not that you need to know more. Maybe it's just that God would put his finger on a specific area in your life this morning where he's saying, yeah, you know plenty, but I want you to actually take a step of faith in this area and do something with it. So my prayer this morning is that this wouldn't just be some nice new nuggets of information, but that it would actually translate into your life. That's, that's my prayer. So Matthew 28, I want to actually look at this and read it. May be familiar to many of you. We just talked about the great commandments. This is the great commission. And Jesus, after he rose from the dead, was about to ascend into heaven, he said this to his disciples. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So we're going to read that like two or three more times. And hopefully, it'll take on a little bit more richness maybe even than you have just reading it through that time. So the first picture of these three I want to look at this morning is something that I've got from a guy named Ray Vanderlaan. He grew up in Michigan and wanted to get his doctorate. So he went over to Israel and studied under Jewish rabbis. And it just blew his mind as he learned more about Jewish culture and history. He was a historian. And so he's taken that and tried to help those like me learn more. Like, yeah, you read the Bible, but there's, there's a rich cultural context to that that brings so much more to life if you just understand it. And so I've learned a ton from him. He's got a ministry called That the World May Know. He's got a DVD series, a website. And so I'm just taking this stuff largely from him, and it's super helpful. The first thing I just want to look at regarding discipleship is just rabbis and disciples. Like, what what did that actually look like in Jesus' day? Disciples were called Talmudim. That's the plural of Talmud. Talmud is a disciple. Um, And so we know Jesus was a rabbi who had disciples. But what was the, the system there? How did that work? The first thing you need to know is what rabbis were like. And there were actually two kinds of rabbis. The first was a Torah teacher, and they were called a a teacher of the law. So the Torah, you know, is the first five books of the Bible. And they were masters of Torah, which means that they had the first five books of the Bible memorized, totally memorized. They were masters of Torah. So that was the first kind of rabbi. The second was a rabbi with smicha which means authority. So say smicha. Yeah, with the in there, smicha. 
That's authority. And so these were like a, a level up rabbi for sure. And they were masters of Tanakh. So that is what we would call the Old Testament. They had the entire thing committed to memory, which is wild because most Christians haven't even read the whole thing, let alone memorized it, right? So Ray was in class with 30 other guys, and he said he was the only one who did not have the entire Tanakh or Old Testament memorized, the only one, and some of them in multiple languages. So they still do this to this day. It's, it's pretty amazing. So that's rabbis. Then you got to understand a little bit about, oh, and yeah, these are the ones who had disciples. Rabbis with smicha were the ones who had disciples or talmudim. So that tells you something even about Jesus uh, and about John the Baptist, actually. It's, it's pretty interesting. The schooling system, though, is interesting, too. The first level is called Beth Sefer, and that's like elementary school. So it's kids age anywhere from about 5 to 12 years old, boys and girls. And their goal as they were in this kind of stage was just to study and memorize as much of the Torah as they could. So they still, again, do this to this day, where little kids are memorizing massive amounts of the Torah. And at the end of this, they would move on. Most of them would go on to the family business, pick up the family trade. Girls were getting close to marrying age, and that would just be the next stage of life. And most did not go on to the next level of schooling. Some did. Some, a few boys, went on to the next level, which was Beth Midrash, And this was for boys about 12 to 15 years old. It was still taught by Torah teachers. And they would study Tanakh. They'd start studying the rest of Tanakh uh, and trying to commit that to memory. And so this would be like, if you think about the number of kids who play basketball in the United States, lots of kids play basketball, right? My daughter's here this morning about to coach her uh, seven-year-old girls and boys basketball team, right? Lots of kids, whether they're good or not play basketball. How many of those go on to play like D1 collegiate basketball? Not many, right? I, I didn't. I played a lot of basketball. I didn't go play in college. Now, that's not shameful for me to admit, right? Not many are that good, but some are. Some go on and play at a high level of college basketball. That'd be kind of like making this level Beth Midrash in their schooling system. So this is pretty elite students, Then they would get to decide, well, they wouldn't get to decide. Their hope was that they could become a disciple. That would be the next level. Once they're done with this, is could I be a disciple? And what that would mean is, can I follow a rabbi with smicha? That's what the goal is, and that's what they've been studying for. And the question is, well, how would that happen? And what what would happen is they would go and find a rabbi with smicha, and they would follow him around, and observe his life, and listen to his teaching, and they would find one that they most respected and revered, and and would say, I want to be just like him in his walk with God. And they would pick him, and then they would one day get the nerve up to approach him and ask him, may I follow you? May I follow you? And really what he's saying is, do you think I could be like you? Do you think I could be like you as your disciple? So what the rabbi Wismicha would do is he would start quizzing this boy and find out, okay, if you want to be like me, 
I'm a master of Tanakh. I've got the whole thing memorized. That would mean that you need to be able to accomplish that. And so I'm going to quiz you. And so, so I, I don't even know what that testing would be like. Pretty intense. But most did not make the cut. And again, it was not shameful. These are like, it, this would be like making the NBA, right? A lot of college basketball players would go, love to go play in the NBA. Most don't. And it's not shameful. It's a bummer. But it's like, yeah, of course, not, not everyone makes the NBA. But they, they'd want to give it a shot, and they'd ask him. And, but most, the rabbi would say, you know what? Bless you. You love God. You have studied hard. But go to your family and, and take up the family business. You're going to be a great fisherman. You're going to be a great carpenter. And so, again, not shameful, but it's like, yeah, not many made that cut. A few did. A few became disciples of an elite rabbi with smicha, and then they would commit the next 15 or so years to following him around. So from age 15 to about 30, they would follow him around and try to imitate his life. And what they're aspiring to at the end of that is that they might become themselves a rabbi. That would be the goal of all of this, that they could be a rabbi. And so it's interesting, at that point, they either become a rabbi or they, they, again, go to the family business. They take up whatever it is that their family does. And so it's interesting when you think about Jesus, too. What age was he when he started his ministry? He was around age 30, when he took on disciples. And you, you start looking at Jesus' life in the Gospels through this lens. It's like, hold on, he seems to be following this system too. And yet at other points, he doesn't. And so important, though, before we look at that, just to go, okay, get it in our heads. What is the goal of a disciple? Because we're talking about discipleship, right? And my idea as a 21st century Westerner of discipleship, I think, is quite different from what it actually was in Jesus' day. And so what Ray would say, the number one goal is to become just like the rabbi. And I cannot imitate Ray Vanderlaan very well, but he's far more passionate than I am. But he would try to help you understand like what this was like. And so just for a moment, like this is like Ray Vanderlaan. He'd be like, you got to understand a disciple wants to be just like his rabbi in everything. When he wakes up in the morning, he thinks, I want to be so like my rabbi in his walk with God. He's consumed with it. He wakes up. What, is, what if he prays at, at a meal? What does he pray? I got to learn that. What if he meets someone on the street? What does he say to him? I got to be right there watching every bit so I can become just like my rabbi in his walk with God. Now you can see it. Yeah, I don't. That's not me, but Ray Vanderlaan. He's like, God, do you get this? Like it consumes them. They're passionately devoted to becoming just like the rabbi every day, every day in every piece of their life. And it's not because even just the man is so impressive. It's, it's in his walk with God, right? It's about God. That was a disciple. I look at my life and go, okay, I've called myself a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus, right? A disciple of Jesus. Is, is that even, am I even close to that? Like, oh man, no, no. I get excited about some things in life. Sadly, it's probably I get more pumped like that about Boise State football or something or a mountain bike race, sadly. For me, that challenges me in a good way. And yet, at the same time, I'm so encouraged that Jesus didn't follow this model to a T because I know what that would mean for me. 
But what he does, he does follow some of it. So check out these verses. Uh, Matthew 10, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher. So you see it. It's like, yeah, that, that is what a disciple is. Or 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to abide in him must walk as Jesus walked. Be like him, right? So there is that peace. At the same time, it's interesting, as you look through the Gospels and look at Jesus' life, how many people, because people did come to him and say, can I follow you? May I follow you? And they're, they're asking, can I be your disciple? And what does he respond? Different things, different times, right? And how many of those who approached him and said, do you think I could be like you? How many actually ended up following him as his disciples? We don't know, but as far as I can tell and I read it, it's, it's not recorded that any of them actually did. He, he responded, and usually they're like, oh, good grief, that's hard. And they'd walk away, right? Rich and ruler, things like that. But what's interesting, what does he do? What Jesus does is he doesn't wait for people to come to him. He actually goes to them and he says, come, follow me. Come, follow me. Totally flips it on its head from the cultural norm for rabbis. Come, follow me. And what he's saying is, I think you could be like me. I think you could be like me as my disciple. And it's interesting to think, what were some of the disciples doing when he approached them and said, hey, come, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? What were they doing? They were, they were fishing, they were collecting taxes. And what does that tell you about where they were at in the Jewish schooling system? Had they made the cut with the rabbit? No, they hadn't made the cut. And yet Jesus comes to them and says, you, 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 come follow me. I want you to be my disciple. I believe you could be like me. That is so cool. That's so significant, I think, for us because he, the bar is not like NBA-level Christian to call yourself a disciple. That's not it. It doesn't take away the passion, right? We're still supposed to be passionately devoted to becoming just like Jesus, but it's not about, man, I've just got to be better, right? Got to dig deeper and be better which is what I think we can get tripped up by. He says, I chose you. And so I think even at the Last Supper, he says that. He says, remember, remember, you did not choose me. I chose you. Remember that. And I think they were going to need to remember that because of what we know happened next, right? Uh, this was right before he was betrayed. And Peter, most passionate one, right? Even he, at Jesus' great moment of need, what, is, what does Peter do? Hey, I, haven't you been with Jesus? Aren't you one of his followers? Like, I don't even know the guy. I mean, that would be the greatest badge of honor, right? Yeah, I'm his disciple. He's, I don't even know the guy. And if you have any idea what it's like to be a disciple of a rabbi, to say that about your rabbi, I don't even know him, is like unimaginable. It's the most shameful failure imaginable. And you see Peter feeling that, right? So it's amazing. After Jesus raises from the dead, he goes and he finds them again. And what are they doing? Fishing. And what does he do? Does he reprimand them? Say, you guys, my disciples, bailed on me, denied me. No, he doesn't do that. It's amazing because he could have. But he, it's almost like he, 
I imagine them kind of lifting their chin because I imagine they would be so full of shame. But it's like he lifts their chin, looks them in the eye, and restores them. And then he sends them back out into the mission. Says, you know, feed my sheep. Go be fishers of men. That's what I invited you into. You're still my disciple. Go help others to know me and follow me too. And I think that perspective is so key because, you know, in that mountain bike race, I, I could have just quit and gone home. It's kind of how I felt. But I was like, nah, sheesh, I paid money for this. Like, I'm up here. It's beautiful. Like, I just enjoy a great mountain bike ride. I found the course. I got back. And it ended up being total blast. Had a blast the rest of the race. I think Peter could have just bailed. Been like, nope, 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 nope. You know how you feel terrible and even someone is offering forgiveness, you're like, no, 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 can't receive it. I think we do that, but, oh, man, we miss out on so much when we do that. And you might be feeling that even this morning. Like, I'm not even close to that. I, I can't be a disciple like that. Maybe you're believing all sorts of lies about, I, I just all these things are coming to mind of things in your life right now, and you just feel like a failure. And I would just say, I, Jesus says, now, look, I, I want you just to live in relationship with me, follow me, and trust that, yeah, I could use you in others' lives too. That perspective is so key. And so as we look, just reading quickly again this, this passage, see if anything jumps out. Jesus came and said, all authority, right, smicha, has been given to me. Big deal. In heaven and on earth, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, which is crazy. They weren't rabbis, but he's saying, no, you go make disciples now. That's crazy that we even are invited into that. We're not rabbis. We're not like NBA level, whatever, and yet we have that opportunity. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that piece, I think, is probably familiar to a lot of us, baptism. And yet it's like, okay, what, what, peace does that have in making disciples? Initially, it's just, well, yeah, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you got to actually become a follower of him. So part of that is just that people need to understand yeah, that God loves me, that Jesus came to live a perfect life that I could never live, that he died the death on the cross that really I deserve for my own rebellion against him, whether I know it or not, um, that I need to have my Really, that earns me separation from God. It's a spiritual death penalty that has to be paid. God is just. And yet, if I pay it, I'm apart from him forever. So he sends Jesus to take my place, pay my death penalty, raises from the dead. And then the Bible says if you believe that and receive that gift on your behalf by faith that you can have forgiveness of sin, eternal life, relationship with God, that is the beginning, if you believe that, to becoming a follower of Jesus, right? A disciple. And you declare that by being baptized, by saying, this, this is what I believe, and I want to commit my life to following Jesus. So that's baptism, right? It's a symbolic representation of that. We're immersed in water. It's no less than that. And yet, I think there's actually more to it when we look at this passage. There's actually more to it. And so that's the second picture that I want to look at it's just what you expected, right? Pickles. You saw where I was going with this. <laughs> Pickles. What in the world? Pickles. So 
Here, here's why pickles, because there are two different Greek words for baptize. And one of them is used in this passage, but they're used, both of them are used in the New Testament. And you find they, they discovered this ancient pickle recipe that uses both of the Greek words. And so it's really interesting. There's one word that's bapto, and there's another one called baptizo. And someone told me this morning who is himself Greek, so I believe him. He says baptismo. I don't know. I'm just going by Greek in blueletterbible.org. Fantastic app, actually, or website. If you want to look up, man, what's the Greek or Hebrew or where a word search? Super cool free app. And in the notes, they've got notes and commentaries. This is in there, and it talks about this pickle recipe 200 years ago, or 200 BC, excuse me, and it describes uh, the process. And so if you were to make pickles, you would first grab your cucumber, right? And you would want to, what's the first thing you'd want to do with it? You want to clean it, right? So you'd take your ancient tongs with plastic, yeah, yeah, I don't know, it wouldn't be like that. I don't know what they do. But imagine this is boiling hot, right? You, you, first you would bapto it. And so you do this, right? Wiggle around, clean, clean, clean. There, done. Bapto. And then you might have to bapto it again. If you chuck it on the ground, they're slippery when you do this. The recipe doesn't give instructions on that, but if, <laughs> if you uh, drop it, just bapto it again. Maybe without your Fred Meyer tongs. You might burn your fingers a little, but that, that's it, right? It's to dip, to immerse. That's the Greek. We know that, right? And that's what I always picture when I think of baptism, right, is I'm just going to dunk it in and dunk it out in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Boom. Bapto. The other word is baptizo. And so that's the next stage of the process. So if you're going to get a pickle, you need to stick it in a, some pickling solution, right? So you would take as like a vinegar solution or something. You stick your cucumber in there. And how long do you think you would need to stick it in there for it to become a pickle? It's, it's much longer, right? I don't know how long, but a lot longer. You don't just bapto it. You've got to baptizo it. And so over time, what happens is you stick it in there, and it begins to take on the properties of the thing that it's immersed in, right? So the vinegar penetrates it over time. And it begins, the cucumber actually begins to take on the properties of the thing that it's immersed into, the vinegar solution, so that it's actually over time transformed into something new. So you start with this and you end up with this. It's like it tastes different, looks different, feels different. It's something transformed. It's different. And yet it's the same thing that went in there, but it's different. That's baptizo. And so what word do you think is used in Matthew 28? Baptizo, yeah. It'd be weird if it wasn't, right? That'd be a lame illustration. But every time you see baptism in the New Testament, it's baptizo. Bapto is used like the Last Supper. Jesus says, whoever I bapto this bread in and give it to, that's the one who's going to betray me. And you get that, right? Dip. But baptizo, baptism always is baptizo. And so I think, man, there's a richness there. There's a reason. They easily could have used the word Bapto, but they didn't. And so what is it then that Jesus is getting at when he says that? I think there's this idea that that is supposed to happen to us. 
And so the other pieces, it says, be baptized in the name, right? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so is that just, yeah, I, I always just imagine you dunk them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And so it's not less than that. I'm not saying we need to change how we do baptism. It's absolutely how we traditionally practice it. But there's more richness to it, I think, where in the name, I did not understand this. And so even in college, I was like, the guy who discipled me, uh, Tim Rule, I said, what's up with in the name? Because you see it all over. We pray in the name of Jesus. It says, you know, ask anything in my name, Jesus says, and you'll have it. Okay, sweet. I want a Corvette in Jesus' name. Amen. Where's my Corvette? No, it's not name it and claim it. So what is it? And he said, well, yeah, it, the name represents really the fullness of who the person is. And it has to do with authority. So like if you come in the name of Caesar, you're coming with his authority. It's like you got his badge and it, you're representing all of who Caesar is, right? And so he said a way to remember it might be like the character, the works, and the reputation of someone. So it's the fullness of who, who someone is. And so if you think about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, it's, it's the fullness of who they are. So imagine praying something in Jesus' name. If I say, God, would you please help me to love my neighbor? Is that something that Jesus would be about, loving my neighbor? Yeah, of course, he commands it. So if I ask for that in Jesus' name, according to who he is and everything he's about, will he give it to me? Yeah, of course. So if I ask anything in his name that he's about, of course he'll give it to me because he already wants me to, to have that, to see that. So when it comes to baptizo in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what is he saying? He's saying not only just go dunk them in water and give them a few spiritual nuggets that you heard from me. That's, that's not the fullness of discipleship. I want you to immerse them into the fullness of who God is. Everything you've seen, you've been with me for years now following me, Jesus says, I want everything you've seen, I want, you've been immersed in, in that, how to love God, how to love others. I want you to do that with others, that you would immerse them into the fullness of who God is so that over time they'll be transformed by it, that they'll be penetrated by him, that he'll be the one to transform their life and yours as well. That is, I think, what he's getting at, and that is the very definition of discipleship that we would become more and more like Jesus, transformed by him in every area of our life so that we're actually transformed into new creatures, right? So even, we won't dwell on this, but if you, if you read it again in that context, that's what he's calling his disciples and by extension us too who follow him is to make disciples, passionate followers of Jesus, immersing them, baptizing them, into the fullness of who God is, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything he's commanded. Love your neighbor. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, I'm with you in this. I'm with you. So the two pictures we looked at, disciples, Talmudim, right, devoted to becoming just like their rabbi. Disciples transformed and pickled by God. And the third one is out of 2 Timothy 2, back to that. Disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, and so on until here we are because people have been faithful to do that. So this idea of multiplying discipleship is what Paul was describing to Timothy. And 
this has been really helpful for me. I remember studying 2 Timothy in college as part of a, a summer kind of mission project, and man, it finally started to click what this looks like. And so for me, when I read that passage, we already read it once, but he describes what this should look like. And for me, a picture is really helpful. So I want to actually look at this verse. We already read it in picture form. So Paul is saying, the things, Timothy, that I've taught you among many witnesses, I want you to entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul discipled several, but he's saying, now I want each of you guys to go on and disciple others who will disciple others who will disciple others. And it's never that clean, right? That's a nice clean graphic. It's never quite like that ever, but that, that gets the picture of it. Multiple generations of disciples. And what's really cool is I got to experience this myself as a student at Boise State. Someone began discipling me. And that was super helpful just to help me grow as a disciple of Jesus. And then he pretty quickly said, okay, who are you going to disciple? I was like, what are you talking about? He said, well, you know plenty. Who could you help walk, grow in their walk with Jesus? So I was like, ah, isn't that what you do? He's like, yeah, this is in the Bible, Billy. It's like, we're supposed to make disciples. So what's the name of a guy, another student that you maybe are a step ahead of in your walk with Jesus that you could help grow? I was like, oh, wait, you want a name? Like, you wanted me to actually like, for real, do this? Like, yeah. Next week, give me a name. So, spoiler alert, that's where we're going here. So, you might be thinking about that. And you know what? I, there was this guy, Denver. He was a newer student, and I started meeting with him, and it was so cool. He learned some stuff, but I was the one that was learning a ton because I had to, man, I was like, wow, I, if I'm going to teach him something, I better learn it myself pretty well. So helpful in my own walk. And I got to see others do, experience this too. And I could, there's so many examples I could give, but some are even connected with Rev. So I picked this, and there are so many. One guy that I got to influence is Nathan. And if he looks familiar, he doesn't go to church here, but his twin brother does, Ryan. So if you're like, wait, he's, Ryan looks different. Yeah, that's his brother, Nathan. Ryan's on the trip in the Philippines right now. But I got to meet with both of those guys a bit, and Nathan actually ended up joining our staff team, and he started discipling other guys. One of those is Noah, who was in the first service, and just uh, beginning to help Noah grow. And I think if you ask Noah, compared now to your freshman year, have you grown much? It's like, oh yeah, and, and I've seen it. It's like, man, Noah is a different guy in so many different ways, seen so much growth over those years. Well, Noah, after his freshman year, started getting discipled, he was just fired up, and he started sharing, with, sharing the gospel with roommates and friends. One of those guys was Everett, who also attends Rev, was in the first service, and Everett at the time was not a believer. He would have said he was an agnostic, but Noah was just loving on him and sharing the gospel. Everett eventually became a believer, and now is part of Rev, another guy that Noah influenced. And again, this is not pure discipleship. Nathan actually meets with some of these guys ongoing, but Colin shared at our weekly meeting for crew a week eh, last semester. That's him up front sharing his own story and saying, man, one of the real key things was Noah being used in my life. And he, he shared about how he needed to be called out on something. And Noah had the guts to do it in love, along with his sister. But now Colin is influencing others. And Joseph is sitting right there. He's another guy 
that Nathan disciples, and Joseph is discipling Matthew right now. And what is really cool is these guys are, are influencing lots of others. They're reaching out to international students, and some are thinking of maybe going overseas. Some are just looking at how God will use them in their workplace when they graduate. And I could, if I extrapolated this out, just honestly, even with students I've seen in this building this morning, we'd have, we'd take all morning. And so my point in sharing this is these are students who are not like they come in their freshman year and they're NBA caliber Christians, just, you know, like seminary graduate, pastoral, what? No, they're coming in needing to learn and grow. They get discipled, but right away, very quickly, are able to turn around and help someone else in their walk with Jesus, help them to become more like him and love others as well. And so that's my encouragement, even in showing this, is that we're normal people. So if you're like, yeah, Billy, that's your job. Well, ignore me then and look at all of these young people who are actually experiencing discipleship. And, and for me, it's been one of the greatest experiences of my life um, to grow myself, but also to be used in the lives of others. And so that's what I want to encourage you in, is just to be a part of that, to be a part of being a disciple yourself, being immersed in God and all his goodness and becoming more like Jesus and then turning around and helping others to do the same. Just practically that could be, you know, yourself. You got to be in the word, right? If you want, if we can't be physically with Jesus to look at what his life looks like, the best way is just to immerse yourself and looking at him in scripture and really studying his life so you can become more like him. Also being around others who want to do this, being in community. There's gospel communities you could be a part of and sharpen each other. And then looking at how can I help others to do this? Maybe you need to approach someone else to be discipled, like approach someone that you could invite. Don't wait for them to come to you. Go to them and say, man, would you help me? I'd love to just pick your brain on how you have walked with Jesus. But then do the same, not in like, hey, I would like to disciple you because I've arrived. And it's not that. You might feel like, oh, I can't do it. No, just take someone to coffee or lunch or something and, and just get to know them. Say, hey, I'd love to get to know you. And it, it, you can just begin to influence them, right? To help point them toward Jesus and encourage them in their faith. Could be your family, could be coworkers, could be someone here in Rev. But I want to encourage you, anyone I believe who does this, who makes following Jesus your number one priority, to be in his own, a disciple of him and helping others to do the same, really there's nothing that will allow you to sat, be satisfied more than that. More than that, though, I think you'll stay on course, on course, toward hearing at the end of your days, well done, good and faithful servant. That's my prayer for all of us. Let's pray now. Lord, I do uh, just pray for that. Uh, life is so full of, of, of good stuff, but even the good stuff can be distractions. And it's full of hard stuff that could derail us. And uh, it'd be easy just to maybe think, oh, that's a cool illustration, and, and walk away unchanged. I pray that that wouldn't happen. I, I believe that you care so deeply about each one in this room that you are working in their heart by your spirit. And so I, I pray that whatever it is that you've been putting your finger on, that you would help us to not leave here without really solidifying it in our mind and heart, that we would take action on it. Maybe it's just someone we need to love on. Maybe it's something that would help us walk closer with you to be more like Jesus.
Whatever it is, Lord, would you help us by the power of your spirit that we wouldn't do this in our own strength, uh, but only by depending on you. Thank you for your love for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.